the only thing we have in business, in this business, is customer trust. And if we violate that, we're done. And I think that that sort of centers everything. So therefore, we have a responsibility to be incredibly transparent with customers around, uh, you know, what we're doing, what we're collecting, uh, and whether, um, you know, and giving them options, therefore, to uh, figure out if they're okay with that or not. Um, internally, um, we have teams thinking about fairness and privacy and a number of different things. That, that, that's probably all I can say about it uh, in this forum. But I can tell you, for me, it, it's it's a tr if there's a trust buster out there, it's a no deal. It's a no brainer. You you can't even come close to that edge. We need to be incredibly responsible with what we're doing. And to the extent that there's a broader discussion around that the, the industry, if you will, quote unquote, uh, needs a, a governing body to think deeply about this that isn't embedded in the company. Um, I personally, speaking for Andrew, not Amazon, I'd absolutely be in favor of that. If we've learned anything from this podcast, it is that we are living in the, the wild west of voice. It is a cra crazy period of time right now uh, between Siri and Alexa. And today on the episode, we actually have Andrew Turner from Amazon who works on Alexa. Yeah, it was pretty interesting just hearing about his career progression. He came from Eddie Bauer, jumped over to Amazon, and then came out of apparel or soft lines and had an interest in Alexa, told his boss about it, and was able to make that transition. And we talk a lot about his team, how he leads them, what he's learned, and even his own personal experience in entrepreneurship. And of course, if you're going to have the Alexa guy on, I wanted to know what his, his Alexa Rushmore was. So he actually shared the four big sort of skills from Alexa that he loves. I think you're going to like the episode. Enjoy. Mr. Turner, been a bit. Indeed. Good to see you, sir. Uh, how has your pandemic been? Are you surviving everything? My pandemic has been good. You know, my wife is thrilled to have me home. My dog is even more thrilled to have me home. And uh, the only thing I regret is that I didn't like my commute, but I got a lot of reading done on my commute. So my, my, my book consumption has gone down a bit. But otherwise, it's been pretty, I feel pretty grateful to be here with my family and have a, have a job, you know, pretty lucky. So, and, and it's a pretty darn good job, if you ask me. I mean, you're only at one of the most powerful companies on the planet. And I know you probably would say it differently, right? I think it's a curious place. And, uh, you know, it's fascinating that you, I basically start my day with Alexa, who is now telling my kids stories or, or putting them to sleep. So we start our day and we end our day. And I don't know if I am in awe or terrified of that reality. <laughs> yeah, I think you're like a lot of folks. You know, we we have the same thing every morning. Uh, I stream NPR out here and just invoke uh, Alexa to start that up. And it's funny. I, I recently saw my parents, and you know, they don't they don't have one, or at least not one accessible. And I find that there's a lot of things I do habitually now that I didn't do before. So I think it is becoming more of an ingrained part of people's lives. Uh, and by the way, my son is way more advanced than I am already, uh, and he's eight. Uh, <laughs> I was actually trying to talk to Alexa in one of our rooms. He's like, Daddy, you have to call it Echo. Oh. So, 
He changed the wake like, word on you. That's fancy. That's like next level uh, user interface there. <laughs> this is not good. This is not good. Like next thing you know, he's going to block me from my own credit card. He's going to be <laughs> buying stuff through the echo. But anyway, just, just to do it proper, if you had to just sort of describe your journey, how long you've been at Amazon, what you work on on a day-to-day basis, can, can you give us the Cliff Notes version of that? Sure, sure. So I, I've been at Amazon a little over six years. Most of my background is in consumer products and retail. So I actually started on the retail side, launching new categories for the Amazon Canada website. Uh, They hired me to launch apparel and shoes in Canada and then manage a couple of the other categories. And I did that for about three and a half years. And then for personal reasons, mostly wanted to get back to the East Coast. And the next biggest non-AWS office is, I think, I don't know this factually, but I think is in Cambridge. Um, for Alexa research science and uh, data engineering, language engineering, et cetera. And uh, at the time, I very much still wanted to continue to learn um, about Amazon and continue my journey there. And, uh, and basically, it's an internal labor market. You kind of reach out to different hiring managers. And I connected with my current manager, Janet, and said, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to get closer to family. And, uh, you know, I'd like to come work for Alexa. It's new. It's growing, et cetera. What do you think? And, you know, we obviously had many, many more discussions. And she said, yeah, I think there's a role on the team for you here. So for the last two and a half years, I've been managing, this is a mouthful, non-English language expansion uh, for NLU modeling, which is a a jargony way of saying, if we want to launch Italian or German or Spanish, um, my team managed the language model inside the the Echo device uh, to make it available for customers in other languages. It's a crazy progression. I mean, it's pretty cool that you just go to your boss and you're like, hey, I want to do this and I'm interested in this and and they help support that. I think that's awesome of the company. But going from outerwear, footwear, gear and accessories at Eddie Bauer and then to soft lines at Amazon, which is really just apparel, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. And then jumping into like one of the most tech forward spaces what was that like i mean we're it seemed like you were excited but were there any fears that you had that you had to deal with like going into something completely new in a category maybe you didn't know a ton about or did you have experience no absolutely i mean i i jokingly say maybe this is a little risky um but you know there's there's many many parts of my job that i'm not qualified for and i actually don't think that that's completely unique at amazon um because it's such a deeply specific and accomplished place. There's just superpower people everywhere. Um, But that being said, there were parts of the business, I think, that I could help. Um, Some of the sort of core Amazon DNA about being able to think about managing and leading through metrics, organizing teams, putting in what we call mechanisms. There's a lot of kind of jargon here, but that the team didn't have at the time. And so what I was bringing in terms of those skills, they were willing to surround me with a, a supportive team to help shore up a lot of the technical gaps that I had. You know, I, I said this to Ryan, I think the other day, there are people that will forget more than I will ever learn about AI and machine learning in my team and absolutely in my org. Um, but nonetheless, it's been a great opportunity to figure out there has been a marriage of uh, things that I can bring to the business and then other things that that they bring so that it's truly a collaborative effort. So, yeah, but I was nervous. I mean, I can tell you about the, the very first meeting. One of the very first meetings I had was um, VPs at Amazon are a little bit like deities, which sometimes I think is a little silly, but they're very, 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 very good, um, you know, sort of uh, as a group. 
And um, early days, I just remember, I won't tell you who, but there, there was a VP sort of speaking in an elevated voice to, to me and my team about how come we weren't uh, releasing features for customers faster. You know, we, we're, we're the non-English people, right? So a lot of the things sort of incubate and start in, in English and in Seattle and the United States. And then we try and export them as fast as possible to the rest of the globe. And she ran the international business and was not um, completely psyched at the rate and the velocity with which we were releasing features, which is great. I mean, one of the core tenets we have at Amazon is customer obsession. So the fact that we weren't going fast enough to get Italian and Spanish and French and German customers features was something that she should rightly be frustrated about. I, I just had no idea what she was talking about and what I was going to do about it, but, um, but we figured it out. Uh, so yeah, there was a little bit of trepidation early on, but um, I'm still here. So that's a good, that's a good sign. Well, two things come to mind. I mean, one, it's, it's probably awesome to have context and get a bunch of different viewpoints, even if like, so you're bringing new viewpoints into your team, you're getting their viewpoints so that, you know, there's not stagnation. Um, but also, do you speak under other languages? I do not. No. My okay. So then, and but yeah. you're in charge of non-English. So maybe you can expound on that a little bit. Just, you know, how how has um, you know been working in that that team environment where you're you're bringing in maybe some new ideas to the team, but also probably, you know, um, facing things uh, that you don't understand about culture or other, um, you know, idiosyncrasies within language and how how is that working? It's a, it's a great question. Th this is actually one of the things I think I may have been able to help us think about differently, which is to say, um, the, the first of all, to answer your question, for every language that we ultimately launch, we have an in-country team of some size that has language expertise that supports that language. You know, it's be, it's be sort of irresponsible of us not to. You know, why, why would a, a team in Seattle be managing the Italian language model, you know, as an example? So, so we do do that. However, the one thing we also recognize is that it's really hard to hire people. It's even harder to hire folks that may be uh, bilingual, trilingual, et cetera, and do it at any kind of scale and speed. So one of the first things we started to talk about as a team is we need to get out of the business of language specific tasks, whether that's modeling or whether that's hiring or anything else, because it will not scale. We will never catch up if we have to bring this to a uh, hundred countries or, you know, the globe, really. I mean, I don't think that anybody in Amazon will be satisfied until Alexa is accessible to every single person on earth. And if that's our job, we're never going to hire those people. So how do we think differently about what we're doing and make sure that it can scale in a language agnostic way? And of course, there will always, always be room for things that have to be language specific, but we have to start thinking at that kind of scale, which is one of the things I started to you know, I get from retail is the scale is, is astronomically big. I mean, we're talking millions and millions and millions of, we call them ASINs, but products um, with thousands and thousands, I think billions of orders and deliveries. It's a, it's a scale that you sort of can't comprehend. And then when you start to try to think at that level, you realize that a lot of things that you could just brute force your way through, they break down. So this is, this is a very tiny microcosm example, but we said like, we need to get out of the business of anything that requires us to hire language specific talent as much as we can. Now, obviously there's a limit to that, but you know, that was one of the learnings. And so my own deficiency is of course, buffeted by folks that speak the language, but also then trying to think about the ways in which we can make them scalable across all of the teams.
Man, I, I'm not bilingual or trilingual. I'm I'm barely lingual, uh, which you know, as as per, <laughs> I think I just made up a word, right? That's you not do make word, up right? words. Yeah. Uh, so I just made another one up. Lingual. Can, hey Alexa, define lingual. Um, <laughs> but you know, like talk, again, it has to be incredibly uh, look the pressure, right? The pressure. It's the wild west of voice. It's clearly everybody's. Try, not everybody, a very few deep pocketed companies are in this race. Um, and we go back to the top of the, of the show. Like the fact that it feels like it's scalable, but just for my child or just for my house, just the music I want at just the right time. Um, I mean, but how much pressure do you feel like when you're in this guns a blazing race? I mean, I'm assuming you're having these hard conversations regularly. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the the pressure that I specifically feel, and I think it's fair to say for the business overall, is it has to be centered on the customer. And uh, very, very rarely do I worry about you know how Google or Apple is doing in X Y Z market segment. I think a lot about what the customer experience is like in any of the languages that we are launching. Or if my team has a role in helping to expand other functionalities, what that experience is like for the customers that we have. With the idea being that if we continue to develop good experiences for customers, then it will kind of take care of itself. And that's maybe a little bit of a sort of naive version, but it's also worked. It's the same thing that we did in retail. You know, if, if we can give customers fast delivery, more selection, and, and the sharpest prices possible, we think that over time, that's proven to be a durable strategy. So um, I, don't, I don't feel a lot of the sort of external pressure imposed by anybody. We sort of take it upon ourselves on behalf of customers to make sure we're delivering for them. So I, we have, um, for some reason, this popped into my head. So we have, we have four values like that we abide by courageous. And, and number three, they're ordered. They're, they're prioritized. And the third one is speed. It's like you can see that in your business model too. Like, But – I am curious if if you guys don't know something, but because you're customer obsessed, how often are you like creating partnerships and bringing in best of breed in other arenas? So you, and then and then and I'm even thinking about it from the speed standpoint. Like, how hard is it? Like, how how big is the legal team to like <laughs> churn up a partnership? Like, how do how does that work? With Yeah, I think w with respect to third parties for Alexa specifically, I think that, and this is consistent with the retail business as well, with how we think about sellers, is I think that the business is, is sharp enough to understand that we will be our own bottleneck if we try and do everything just ourselves. I think this is kind of what you're getting at, right? So for, for Alexa specifically, there's, um, there's something called Alexa Skills Kit. And you, know, you and I, tomorrow, if we had a good idea, we could build a skill in, our, in your garage and we could release it within the Alexa ecosystem. Uh, we'd have to figure out how we get traffic and marketing, et cetera. But you imagine now if you can enroll a ton of partners who are maniacally focused on a single vertical you know, passion area, whatever, and do that amazingly well, and we can support them with the right tools to help them build great models and experiences, then it scales. This is the same thing about sellers on marketplaces. You know, if, we, if there are small businesses where we can help them reach many customers through the scale of the Amazon uh, website, then we think that you got to be able to find their product, 
but if you can, that's good. That's good for customers. So it's it's much more around trying to think of those folks as our partners, but then let them be self service. You know, the the more that we try and sort of gum it up, we're now back to these things that are now operated by humans, which won't scale. <laughs> so let's open the platform. Let's provide developer tools. Let's provide seller tools, and let's make sure that folks can either bring selection to the retail site or they can bring skills and experiences to the to the Alexa ecosystem, and let it go from there. And then you're relying on people's ingenuity and inventiveness to try and. Uh, be able to deliver those things on your behalf versus you trying to come up with all the good ideas. Cause we certainly don't have them all. That's for sure. I mean, when you have a front row seat, I'm sure you're under like some sort of crazy NDA, but like you must run into a hundred, like you probably have a hundred ideas for skills for Alexa. <laughs> I don't <laughs> personally, actually my son has one. I always think about, we, I call it, uh, is he a hall of famer? We always have these, like these ridiculous debates about like, you know, is one of my favorite ones is Patrick Mahomes, a hall of famer is Deshaun Watson. A, I'm like, no. And we will argue about it forever. So there probably could be some sort of podcast slash statistical game that we could, uh, that we could put out there. But, you know, honestly, most of the time, I think about, and I'm not, I'm not specifically in this part of the business, but I think a lot of the time about how do we just make sure that the platform is accessible for folks uh, and so that they can bring their best creativity to it. Um, we do have this process, and we could talk about this in more detail if you all want, around how we think about incubating new ideas in Amazon. And there's plenty of those ideas running around. Um, but those aren't any different from any developers, frankly. You know, it's just we, we're constrained like everybody else is on where we're going to focus. Let's talk about how you incubate new ideas. I'd like to hear a little bit about that. I'm sure the the audience would as well. Yeah. So there's there's a process, and I, I don't think this is there's anything mysti, um, mystical or mystifying about this. In fact, there's a couple of Amazonians that have just written a book about. It's called Working Backwards, and the idea is that a lot of the times at companies, people come up with ideas. And then they incubate them, they develop them, and then they sort of throw them over the fence to sales and marketing and say, hey, go sell this. You know, this is our idea. This is the next big thing. Go get it done. And sales and marketing, it drops in their lap and they say, what, what the heck is this? Like, I can't do anything with this. <laughs> like, and they're like, well, that's too bad. That, that's, the, that's the fall 2020 strategy or whatever. The, the Amazon pro, pro, um, process is much different. It is, um, we have this thing called a PRFAQ. Which, which sounds a little weird, but Amazon is a document culture. We write these six page narratives or they can be many different lengths. Sometimes you hear them called memos and they're literally single space, you know, 11 point calibre font docs. And they are the way in which decisions get made. And one of the ways you introduce a new idea is you write a PR FAQ and the PR happens to be the press release. And the FAQ is the series of questions that accompany the press release and it essentially pitches the idea as if it literally were to show up in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, TechCrunch, Wirecutter, whatever. I guess Wirecutter, maybe not. But uh, And you work from there. And the idea is that you sell the vision about what the customer is literally going to see and experience. Of course, if it's a uh, you know, if it's sort of visual product, you have mock-ups, you have the user experience on the app or whatever. And then what follows, this is a series of FAQs that address the idea. Why, sh why do customers need this? Why should we invest in this? Uh, how are you going to get it done? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And everything works backwards from the idea that you would be reading about this in the newspaper, you know, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your friends. And it works backwards from that as opposed to 
you know, a bunch of PMs sitting in a room kind of coming up with the next great idea and then just sort of doing it and then pitching it to quote unquote management. That process, then you go and you shop that PRFEQ around. You get feedback from the folks that you think are, are worthwhile in terms of feedback providers. You go up and down the chain. You try to uh, figure out a way that maybe other folks are interested in helping you out on it. Maybe you develop a prototype. And over time, there is a vetted process where you present these PRFQs in you know, the right leadership forum, and you eventually pitch for funding. And, and it usually comes in what we call a pizza team. You know, a one pizza team is enough. It's a pizza to feed probably four people. Yeah. And that's all you get. And sometimes a two pizza team. And it's not like you get 50. It's like, all right, we're going to give you some resources and then go build, you know, experiment, fail, succeed. But that's all you get. And if you get traction, it's very much sort of a market-based system, if you will. If customers like what you're doing, these can be internal customers too, then we'll fund it. Um, now, I've, I've not worked at you know, many other, um, I've worked at Eddie Bauer, of course, for a good portion of my career. But in terms of the way in which ideas actually germinate and go through a process, especially in a growth company of getting funded, that's kind of all I know. I love it. I think it's smart because you start with the end in mind and you know where you're headed. It gets the concept it gets you to articulate the concept and you get to practice the pitch. I like the FAQ section about it because you're thinking about, okay, what are the potential holes in this? And I need to answer those as well up front. It's cool. And it's simple. You know, I think part of, you know, I've seen strategic plans that are hundreds and hundreds of pages in a deck and you get lost. Right. So it's a really cool concept. And, and Berman and I have actually seen this from, um, a colleague of ours that, that worked at Amazon and, and he's pitched us ideas this way. And, and it's, it's nice. Um, I, I, I want to pivot a little bit and just go back to AI and Alexa. As I was thinking about this while you were talking and, and I was listening to Elon Musk on Joe Rogan recently. I heard about this. I heard it's yeah. awesome. I got I, I to listen to that. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's so interesting. Um, but, you know, he, he was talking a lot about having a governing body over AI. And I'm wondering, you know, have you ran into that? Do you have discussions around it? Is there thought of it in terms of obviously you're collecting voice data and, you know, how that can be used and, you know, is Alexa going to be doing these podcasts in the future <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, what, what is the thought of just having, you know, some sort of governing body in those discussions going on, if you can share about that at all? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what the formal Amazon, um, policy as on this. I, I can tell you uh, from our personal experience that, from my personal experience is that the, the only thing we have in business, in this business is customer trust. And if we violate that, we're done. And I think that that sort of centers everything. So therefore we have a responsibility to be incredibly transparent with customers around uh, you know, what we're doing, what we're collecting, uh, and whether, um, you know, and giving them options, therefore, to uh, figure out if they're okay with that or not. Um, internally, um, we have teams thinking about fairness and privacy and a number of different things. That, that, that's probably all I can say about it uh, in this forum. But I can tell you, for me, it, it's, it's a if there's a trust buster out there, it's a no deal. It's a no brainer. You, you can't even come close to that edge. We need to be incredibly responsible with what we're doing. And to the extent that there's a broader discussion around the, the, the industry, if you will, quote unquote, 
needs a, a governing body to think deeply about this that isn't embedded in a company. Um, I personally, speaking for Andrew, not Amazon, I'd absolutely be in favor of that um, because I think that um, these are these are serious issues. And you're right, it is the Wild West a little bit. I don't know that folks necessarily know what to do, but I do think that we have to do the right thing uh, and that there's really no trade-off there at all. It just feels like, uh, well, you, you know what, let me, I'm going to take a step back. I, I get it. It, it. It's a hard time for a lot of companies right now. Right. We, we talk about being you know, fear fighters a little bit like that's our core business. So like you, you can see why companies are, are especially small companies are afraid um, what they thought was going to happen in 2020 clearly didn't happen. And so, so your, your brain gets flooded with reactionary mode in every direction. Um, but at the same time, it's like some of this stuff feels like just a little bit of thought, a little bit of common sense that trust should lead the way some intentionality on the way you go about your business. Uh, I wish more companies were, were being thoughtful with like, okay, this is what's important to us. We're going to let the world know it's important to us. And that's every decision we're going to make is going to be through that particular filter. Now it's nice to have resources like you've got. And so this might not be a fair question, but I think you'll like where it's going. Um, and in the spirit of your hall of famer idea, which I do like, and by the way, <laughs> Mahomes is absolutely hall of famer. <laughs> no way. And, and, and Watson is absolutely not. It's not even, it's not even a discussion, <laughs> uh, but, but in the spirit, we, we didn't another hour. I actually just asked this question on another platform, which we won't name here which was name your name, your Rushmore for sports. Like who's going to be your four. Mm. You're going to do Rushmore for sports. Who's your four. But for you name your Rushmore and maybe we'll learn something along the way. And this can be, this can be personal or you can try to like think about it from a utility standpoint, but name your Rushmore of Alexa skills. Oh man. Oh, you're going to give us, you're going to give us the Rushmore. And again, you can, You've got since, and again, this is a clear data point that we don't we don't feed questions before. Yeah, so yeah. You, you can decide if you want to do like. I think every listener should always look at blank, or or you can go. You know, for you and your family, these are the four. Gosh, let me see here. I, I will admit, and I think this is one of the challenges overall. I can tell you the most. One of the most popular skills is Jeopardy. And I, I think that it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's probably broadly accessible. I don't know if there's different levels, et cetera. I haven't played it in a long time, but I, I know it's a popular one. Um, there are the other ones that I like are, they're actually not skills. And here's the thing. I don't think that users necessarily know, right? Yeah, they're, right. they're sort of powered by what we do. So I stream radio every morning. So tune in every morning, 89.7 WGBH Boston. Boom. You know, she, Alex or it, whatever you want to think about it is, is streaming, uh, is streaming tune in radio. Um, I haven't gone, this is one of the challenges. I haven't gone too deep on other skills though. I can give you my other two wish list If it's sort of jeopardy and tune in is, um, and this is back to the question you were talking about before about personalization. I would love a skill. I'd love to be suggested a skill that is regionally different sports uh, fanatic, if you will. So I'm, I grew up in Chicago. I'm a huge Cubs fan, Chicago sports fan, but I live in Boston. And I would love it if there was a skill that was tailored to me that was essentially like the Chicago sports rundown that was seasonally appropriate that kind of kept me up to speed. We have these things called multimodal devices, which they have screens. Great. I'd love to see some highlights too, because I don't get local news 
And I don't, you know, I guess I could get it online, et cetera. But if I was sort of up in the morning having some coffee and I got my three minute Chicago sports skill, maybe it exists, by the way, and I just don't know about it. But when we start to talk about Alexa becoming more useful and helpful, some people get a little weird about this. But if it suggested it to me, and now we're getting very personal, right? They know maybe that about my tastes and preferences, et cetera, but suggested, hey, you might like Chicago Sports Daily. I would love that as a suggestion. And I think we're starting to walk the fine line here between is that something that people want or not? I happen to, would, I would love it. And actually, one of the things that we talk about is user signals to give Alexa feedback on that. Hey, did you like that I suggested this to you? No, hell no, never do that again. Okay, clear signal. Yeah, I love it. Bring it on. You know, like, and customers are different. You have to respect them. But, um, but that's, a, that's a skill I, I wish I had. Um, and I should have gone deeper on, on the skills ecosystem to give you a better example. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you if you don't mind, because I'm like, oh, what is now? What's the, the lexicon on a skill versus something else? Uh, what, yeah, can you explain the differences? Yeah, it's, it should be transparent to customers. It should be transparent to you. So uh, there are things where we might, we being Alexa, you know, sort of the, the developers that are working, let's just say in Seattle, you know, they work all over, but in Seattle are working on developing specific experiences for customers that we quote unquote own. You know, we, we developed the content, the language model, the, the speech recognition model, et cetera. And then there are other things that where we don't have expertise. And so imagine like a very niche thing, like, I don't know, like maybe this like mythical Chicago sports skill where you might say, you know, Chicago, tell me about, or sorry, Alexa, tell me about the Chicago Cubs. We may hand off to a skill provider that experience, that content, sort of dynamically. Now, you might never know that it's coming from, you know, XYZ Chicago uh, sports company, but we sort of hand off elegantly without the user knowing, and now you're sort of in that skill, and then you can kind of come out of it. Some people may know, for example, like there's, um, there, I'm sure that there are cooking skills. I'm not a huge like cook with Alexa, but to the extent that there are, um, you know, my dad is a big, he watches the Food Network, you know, cook with Bobby Flay. Maybe it's like, Alexa, open cook with Bobby Flay. You could invoke it specifically. You may be marketed that way from Bobby Flay in this case. I don't even know if we have this, by the way. And then it would kind of take you from there. Right, the same way that you think about um, entering the retail website or entering like a, a broader like shopping mall, it's like yeah, we have like the mall operator that may have some stuff to kind of help you orient. But then there's all these little specific boutiques and shops, in this case, skills that can provide you great experiences. Um, but you know, the mall operator doesn't govern them. It's up to them to make sure that when you come into their experience, it's as good as it can be. So that's the fascinating part when you can kind of blend it so that the customer doesn't know. Obviously, you want to make sure that those experiences are good. But developers, as I said before, they want their skill to be as great as it can as well. And if they're eventually looking as a way to monetize that traffic, if it's really good, then it's got to be good and they got to keep you, et cetera. You also start to get into some interesting business model questions, which is really the part that fascinates me and where I think I can continue to hopefully help the businesses. How are we going to make money off of any of this? Um, and uh, that is something where you start to say, you know, I would pay, I think, you know, depending if it was 99 cents a month for the Chicago sports skill, sure, I'd pay that. And now you, all of a sudden you can start to see that there's, there's content and there's people and there's traffic out there where you can build a, a good little business um, by being really good at what you do well. And, and I just don't think we can do that. We big A Amazon Alexa can do that in all these different verticals. It's interesting. I was just Googling some of the uh, skills that are out there and, and, 
in doing that, you know, you can do everything from watching TV to playing games, cleaning your apartment, you know, checking your finances, listen to books, recipe ideas. I mean, pretty interesting stuff that helps you in everyday life. But one that I found really interesting is asking Alexa to explain itself. Hmm. So you could ask, why did you do that? And then Alexa would respond um, so that it can learn and get better in the future. And then apparently there's a community so you can teach Alexa what you know as well. Are you familiar with this? Uh, I know, I think that there, I know that there's something called Alexa Answers, which is kind of a neat program where imagine the, the specificity around the Super Bowl recently and wanting to know everything about everything, all the stats, all the players. Da, 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 da. Has there ever been a Super Bowl where no one scored a touchdown? Has there ever been a Super Bowl? When da, 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 da. And it's just, it's nearly impossible, right? To try and think about um, getting the answers to almost any question in the world. And so there's a community called Alexa Answers where you can log in and it will surface questions to you that, um, that have been answered, sorry, that have been asked by customers that have not been able to be answered by Alexa. And you can offer your content. And, you know, there's a way in which I think to make sure, obviously, that before these are served to production, and by the way, I'm speculating now, mm -hmm. but that there were, that these are, you know, these are okay, et cetera. But then over time, you can imagine it's a little bit like Wikipedia meets Quora, I think, um, where you're leveraging the crowd to try and add value and utility to the product. Um, and then I'm sure there are some folks that have deep expertise right now. Imagine the same way we had skill developers. If we could attract folks that are particularly expert in different industries, areas, whatever, um, and ask them to share their knowledge and, and then, you know, compare it, et cetera, that, that that's another community as well. So there's all these ideas out there. As you were saying, Ryan, it's, it's early. And has anyone really kind of figured all of this out? No, no way. But it's an exciting journey to be on if, uh, if you're open to the idea that, yeah, this little cylinder that sits in your kitchen or whatever can really be helpful and useful. Um, you know, my kids use it for all sorts of stuff. You're saying your kids use it before, but um, from simple stuff like multiplication to goofy stuff like sports questions um, to weather to streaming radio, um, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, my my daughter and the cousins use it for dance parties. You know, yeah, there you go. Getting fights over music, so that's fun. <laughs> but uh, I I just I want to pivot back to your career for a little bit, and you know, podcast about courage. And, you know, you jump from uh, Eddie Bauer to Amazon and jump categories. So just wondering if you might be able to share a moment in your career where you had to harness courage and what that was like for you. Yeah, I mean, um, it's funny. My story about getting to Eddie Bauer, it was an interesting one where I had graduated from business school and my wife and I had relocated down to South Florida, which is where our family is, was from. And, uh, and for a number of different reasons, I decided to, you know, start a, a small company developing custom-made men's dress shirts. And this is back in the day, you know, I have to remind people, this is 2006. Um, the term metrosexual is kind of a thing. This is queer eye for the straight guy, the men's grooming, men caring about themselves. That's new. It, there was no like huge wall of Axe body spray and Dove for men and that that Nivea for men. Like I don't think those categories. I don't think that those categories existed. Right, men caring about themselves and kind of the way they look was kind of a new thing. And so I thought I had this idea. Well, hey, men probably want a, a good fitting dress shirt, a well fitting dress shirt. So uh, anyway, I decided to start it. And long and short of it is that 
we got it going and it was not great. Um, you know, we, we had customers and we had manufacturing and there's a whole story there. Um, but I think I did have to have the courage to say, I, I totally failed at this, it, at least by any kind of measure in terms of I'm some, you know, big fancy MBA. And like, I got my one-year-old in the other room. My mother-in-law is watching him on the floor and I need money. I need a job. I need to do something. And so a, a classmate connected me with, with Neil Fisk, who'd end up being the CEO at Eddie Bauer. And I basically just said, I, I, I'd love to come work with you. And that was, you know, after seven and a half years, that was a career that was amazing. So I think at that point, I had to have the courage to admit that I had kind of blown this and was completely egocentric and selfish in the decision making to start a company, which is a horrible reason to do so. And ignored a number of the structural factors that I'm sure I would advise anyone to pay attention to and did it anyway. So then kind of go and then try and figure out a way where I wasn't going to be sort of the number one, I could actually do a good job. And number two, I wasn't going to kind of be like the CEO's, you know, pet, if you will. I, I needed to earn my keep and prove that I was there and I could help and I could learn because I had no experience in apparel manufacturing or category management or anything, really. Um, and then the decision to go to Amazon was another where I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, you know, I was reading the story. I remember thinking, I just want to make it five years. I, I just want to have the yellow badge. We have, you know, you get a blue badge when you start and then it turns orange or yellow when you're five years and then 10 years, it's red. And then it goes from there. I'm like, if I can just get to five years, and you know, and it was a learning curve, steep as heck. And I remember being in meetings for the very first week, there was an in-stock manager and he was looking at me like I was the dumbest person he'd ever met. And I was feeling like the dumbest person ever. And you make it through those meetings, et cetera. And I was incredibly... Uh, lucky to have really good mentors and teachers there. But there's all these times where I think if your motivations are right and you go in it with a certain amount of selflessness and sort of self-awareness that you're just going to try and do your best and learn. And most importantly, sort of treat people the right way and, and uh, be in it for the right reasons, then it's tended to work out. Uh, and so I, and obviously coming out here, to Boston is a whole nother chapter. So there are these markers and I'm not a jump, a com jump companies guy. You know, I've, over the last 20 years of my career, I've kind of worked for two. And uh, that's important to me in terms of um, having the, I guess I'd say, courage to, to, continue to, to continue to do the right thing, but then also make sure I find my own professional path within those roles so that I'm not just kind of hanging around and punching the clock, but trying to actually add value for, for my customers and my teams. It's hard when somebody's looking at you like you're incompetent or stupid, I guess. And, and you have to fend that off and know that you're not and not tell yourself that. And, you know, you have to have belief to be able to do that. I, I, I want to go back to a comment that you said, what were the structural factors that you were ignoring? Yeah. So um, this is the, the business was built around this idea around we would have a series of, of boutique stores in major urban areas and we would use them as customer acquisition vehicles to get guys into the store. We'd do the measuring and the other things there. It's interesting, actually, when you think about how much more technology could have helped then and what folks could do now. But we would have these, these stores and we would acquire customers and then we would um, sort of refill their orders online. Um, so therefore, it required me to go to places that had large, relatively sort of young, affluent 
populations of, of um, in this case, young men, you know, guys, and uh, many of them, and probably for a small business and where I had networks and could leverage and understand kind of the city and the infrastructure, that would be Chicago and the Bay Area. And I moved to South Florida, which has an installed base, quote unquote, if you will, of like professionals, like lawyers and wealth managers, et cetera, but largely as hot as hell. <laughs> and some people wear suits and collared shirts, but this is also sort of at the time of the business casual revolution. So a lot of them just wear polos and a lot of them are older. And, uh, you know, it's sort of not this sort of young metrosexual person, if you will, archetype. And um, I had no network. I had, you know, no knowledge of the city. <laughs> I didn't know anyone. My wife's family lived there. I had no friends. And so there's all these things. I think when you try and, and by the way, I went all in. I didn't have a job. This wasn't a side hustle. I wasn't trying to sort of, you know, do this out of my garage and get it where it was going and have a little bit of traction. I was like, screw it. And again, incredibly uh, <laughs> immature and juvenile in terms of decision-making, but I ignored those things. Uh, and uh, it was, it was, it's a good lesson insofar as I think that I recognize now also, by the way, that I was doing it by myself. You know, we had, we had manufacturing in North Carolina, so I had a manufacturing partner, but I was sort of trying to side hustle the sales, the, uh, the marketing, the logo development, the, the, the website design, uh, all the backend infrastructure on bookkeeping it was me. And that's just not the way to do it. And I think if I, when I look back now, I'm like, of course <laughs> you blew it. I still believe in a lot of the core tenets of the ideas, by the way. Um, but it's not a surprise that it, it didn't come together. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to be an entrepreneur, and, and it and it's uh, and it can get lonely. And um, and and you're doing the best you can, and conviction can get you so far until you have to have that honest conversation with yourself. And it's so funny. There's a few ideas. Ryan Ryan will be real surprised by this that I still have that I would love to do in this lifetime. But I think it's just you got to stay focused on the big stuff for now and keep rolling. Um, you know, you only gave us three. We had Jeopardy. This is your, we're going back to uh, your, your Alexa Rushmore. So we had Jeopardy. You had, uh, you start your, your day off, I think, with with music. New, and then yep. you had the, yep. we had mythical Chicago sports skills. So what's number four? The fourth thing that I would love. Let me think. I'm trying to think of something in terms of evaluating this, something that would add utility to my day. Um, I'm sure this exists, um, but I think it would be kind of cool the same way that your Instagram feed and your Twitter feed is sort of uh, uh, curated, if you will, depending on yeah, kind of your own personal algorithm. It would be neat if I could similarly have a tip of the day, a knowledge fact of the day, something where, you know, my, my Instagram feed is like, is like sports, uh, Airstream renovation, uh, cool cabins in the woods, uh, racial and social justice, and like the outdoor industry. <laughs> so was, it'd be kind of neat. Bauer, if, you're, you're, you Eddie Bauer, you're Eddie Bauer showing. Yeah, it'd be nice if like if that could kind of show up in the day where when I said maybe before I was streaming NPR or something like that, because I have a couple of these multi we call them multiple devices, the screen devices, where they would show me. Like I would sit down and watch a, a 90 second clip around like cool woodworking technique or a sports highlight or a, I recently had one um, around, uh, you know, anti-racist tip of the day that I got, I got from an old colleague. Like 
these things would sort of they would they would inject themselves into my day and uh, and they'd be kind of neat. So I, that might exist. Um, you know, you have word of the day. Sometimes we had done that. And that's, by the way, that's a skill. Word of the day is definitely a skill. I'm sure horoscope is one. Um, but, but something where it was, again, we're getting now back to this idea of personalization as a core tenant of the user experience where I'd be okay saying, yep, here's my checkbox of all the things I like. Run the algorithms on cool stuff you could show me. Yeah, my son and I are word of the day junkies, by the way. So we, we, that's one of probably our Rushmore skills. And, and uh, Ryan and I were even sort of like head nodding back and forth that we should do a, a daily dose of courage as a skill hmm. on the Alexa where we're yeah. nudging. You know, it's I'm a firm believer that if you start the day off on the right foot, just everything else, it's like confidence for the next thing. So like that morning dose of courage, that little nudge, maybe it is an inspirational quote. Maybe it's a story. Um, hey, if listeners, if you've actually made it this far and you're still listening and you like this idea, email us, Ryan Berman at couragebrands.com. Let me know what you think of it because maybe we'll uh, turn or maybe we, we bring you into the mix because we're going to need to have this in every language, clearly. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Um, so final question before we, we, we close. Uh, you know, I, I find it fascinating that people go to Google when they want to know something. But you go to Amazon when you want to buy something, mm -hmm. you know, it's the, the, the valuations are to me are clearly different and you can see the moves. I think that Google are making on the platform to, to nudge you to buy something a little bit sooner. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious though, how, and I don't, if you can't share this fine, but like how many people are buying through the Alexa right now? Oh, I'm, I'm happy to say, I don't know the answer and I'm certain I couldn't tell you. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm certain about that. Uh, I don't, I don't know the number. This is why I tried to not say how much money I said, how many people that was my <laughs> way of trying to olay it. Uh, look, it, it's, it's an awesome, it's part of our family, which is scary for some, but also really cool for us. I think if you, you use it the right way, um, it's, it's making me smarter. It's, it's keeping me informed. It's inspiring my kids. Um, can't thank you enough for coming on. I wish we actually had more time because I would have liked to have gotten into your take on diversity, equity, inclusion. You and I have had some pretty solid conversations off the air about this, but yep. maybe we'll get you to come back, Andrew. And really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, man. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope, uh, I hope folks enjoy it. Uh, we'll do a sidebar on why he thinks Patrick Mahomes isn't an Hall of Famer. That's absurdity <laughs> to me. Uh, but but uh, but thanks again. And yeah, anything for us before we wrap? No, I just I want to say number one, thanks for having me. As I mentioned uh, to Ryan, I, it, if there if any of in, anything in our conversation sparked um, something for someone that inspired them or motivated them or whatever, that that's wonderful. I feel. I hope that that happened and, and keep on doing what y'all are doing. Cause I, I actually was thinking about y'all today. I was on a, another call and this word courage does get sort of thrown around sometimes. Um, and I, and I don't know in always in the right way. And I appreciate the way you all have thought about bringing back maybe the idea of what courage really is. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's a great message. So I'm, I'm honored to have been even a small part of, of trying to help continue to send that message. We're going to sell that t-shirt. We're bringing courage back. That's the, that's our next product, Thompson. What do you think? <laughs> you need All a new right, one Turner. for every day. <laughs> Turner, be good, man. Stay warm right. out there. Thanks guys. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us five stars, subscribe, and leave us a comment. If you like what you just heard, sign up for your weekly dose of courage at returnoncourage.com. <laughs>